Hello and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 737. I'm your host Richard Jarrett, recording this on 20th of July. Now this show follows Hot on the Hills of 736, which was part one of the World Superbike Special from Donington Park. But as I mentioned in that show, I was keen to slot this one in very quickly in between part one and part two, because a couple of days ago, I was able to go up and spend a day at Silverstone Race Circuit, sit down and have a chat with Stuart Pringle, who's the managing director of Silverstone Circuit, as we head towards the British round of the MotoGP Championship in around about two weeks from now. It was great to be able to sit down and chat with Stuart a little bit about his history, a little bit about what his job as MD of the circuit entails, and of course, talking in some depth about Silverstone, the circuit, with regards to MotoGP, the coverage, what they have planned this year, some comparisons with Formula One, which is obviously riding high, particularly at Silverstone, based on the race there a couple of weeks ago. So all in all, hopefully a good chat, which people will enjoy. It's about 40 minutes long. Before I press play on the interview, uh, it's probably just worth going over a few key highlights of what Silverstone have planned this year because it is going to be another step forward in terms of what they're offering to the paid public. Obviously, as massive fans of the sport, us at Motopod and all the listeners want to make sure the event is a success. It's important that Britain has a round of the MotoGP Championship. And whilst I'm probably preaching mostly to the converted in terms of this podcast audience, any additional bums on seats that can be attracted to the event would obviously help to make it more a success it was a bit thin last year that's something that Stuart and I talk about in the interview and something that he acknowledges obviously this year we have Jake Dixon in Moto2 coming off the back of his first win at Assen so hopefully that will do something for the gate numbers as well but let me just run through a few things as a little bit of a marketing exercise on behalf of Silverstone which I hope you'll forgive me for but I think it's important that people know what they can expect and what things are going to cost so the one big headline for this year is that the entire MotoGP Moto2 and Moto3 paddock are moving down to the main international wing complex so the international paddock some will remember that the circus used to reside there when it first opened up and then went back to the national pit straight for a number of years but Silverstone have taken the decision to make that facility available to the entire MotoGP fraternity so that'll be an interesting change to observe uh, this year, a general admission ticket will include a roving grandstand, uh, and that will allow access, I believe, across all three days to the Hamilton Strait, Abbey, Beckett's, Woodcote A, Stowe and Village A. So quite a large number of grandstands that will be available for people to go and sit in, and many of those, if not all, are covered grandstands, which can be important at Silverstone, depending on what the weather's doing, of course. In terms of ticket prices, well, it's £35 entry, and these are adult prices, of course, £35 for a Friday-only ticket, £55 for a Saturday-only ticket, and 95 for the Sunday-only ticket. But like me, most people will go for the three-day pass, and that is £110. Children under 11 will go free. Children under 16 will be half price. Obviously, the event runs Friday through to Sunday, but there is the traditional Thursday Day of Champions as well. So it is possible to make a four-day trip of it for those that can. The other thing that's a big change this year is a new main stage area and as Stuart mentions Silverstone are pushing the boat out again with regards to the music that's on offer. So on Friday night you have Chase and Status who will be performing a set. Then on Saturday you've got the Kaiser Chiefs headlining. There is some support music as well. And then on Sunday night you have Razorlight. So yeah I think as Stuart mentions in the chat £110 for the weekend pass to see those three bands is probably worth the admission price alone let alone the fact that you're getting Friday action, sprint race on Saturday, and then the full three races on the Sunday. So 
hopefully that's a compelling offering. Uh, and again, Silverstone doing everything they can to make the pricing and the other activities besides the racing, which is why most people will go, as compelling as possible. That has to be said also that Silverstone is a very different place to the bad old days for those that remember having to queue for hours to get out or drive off through uh, little tracks through forest passes. Those days are long gone. Incredibly well-run facility and incredibly well-run events. So I think that's everything that I needed to say just as a little marketing exercise on behalf of Silverstone. Thanks again to Stuart and to the PR team at Silverstone for the invite up to the press day. It was uh, very interesting and, again, hopefully good progress for Motopod and the listeners that were starting to get a little bit more recognised in the official channels. Long may that continue with the support of you, the listeners. A couple of closing thoughts before we get into the interview. Well, £110 for the three-day ticket is still a reasonable amount of money. I mean, there's no two ways about that. But I think if you stack it up against other international sporting events, it certainly is very, very good value for money when you factor in all the other stuff that's going on. Parking and parking fees are normally something of a bugbear. I think it's around about £40 to £50 for the weekend, although we'd need to check on that because I don't have that piece of information in front of me. Of course, motorcycles get in and park free across the weekend. And for those that have to travel any significant distance, there's always accommodation to be factored in as well. But again, that would apply to any sporting event that you go to that isn't necessarily directly on your doorstep. So I think you have to judge the value of the event on the ticket entry price and what's going on. A couple of things that I didn't mention off the list that are taking place over the weekend, while well, you've got Moto E, which will be of interest to many people. There's also British Talent Cup support races going on. And of course, the usual array of other entertainment areas which will be familiar to those that have been for several years. So that's things like the Monster Energy Thrill Show, a fairly significant manufacturer's zone, children's area, absorbs, funfair, etc, etc. Again, this is a bit of a marketing exercise that we're doing on behalf of Silverstone, but other than them having been kind enough to have invited us up to have a chat about the forthcoming event, there's nothing in it for Motopod other than the recognition that the Motopod exists and has a wide following. So that's something that we really appreciate and something that we want to build on, as I said. So I think that's enough from me by way of introduction. It just remains me to say thanks to Stuart and the PR team at Silverstone for the invite. Hopefully it's something we'll be able to do again as we continue to establish Motopod in the podcasting world. So over to the chat with Stuart. Hope you enjoy it. Hi everybody, it's uh, Rich here and I'm delighted to say that I'm sat with Stuart Pringle, Managing Director of Silverstone Circuit. So Stuart, welcome onto the show. First time I think you'll have been on the show. Yep, thank you very much indeed for the invitation, Rich. Now, we don't have a huge amount of time to get into a deep dive on the bio, but could you speak a little bit about your background in terms of where the love of motorsport originated and sort of the career journey that brought you to the point of being Managing Director of this fantastic race facility? Uh, well, um, it's much more interesting when you ask people who've done racing and, and interesting things. I, I um, like you, I'm a fan of the sport who um, managed to turn a hobby into a day job. Yep. Um, being, my father was is responsible for sowing this uh, seed of interest, two wheels and four. And I fell into motorsport when I left the army. I did a short service commission. I was a tank commander for five years, yep. uh, which is great fun. Um, being based in Germany in the mid to late 1990s gave a fantastic opportunity to go and see lots of motor racing on the continent, most of which I did on my, I had a 1200 Bandit in those days, okay. and uh, <laughs> I would thrash it up and down the autobahns to go and see racing all over the parish, and uh, that, was, that, that was great fun, and I've done various roles over 23 years in motorsport, but actually 18 of those years, 17 and a half of those years, I have spent here at Silverstone 
in various roles, or being latterly last um, seven or eight years, seven and a half years, I've been the managing director. Yeah. So it's very, it's a great honour. I'm very lucky. Yes, and what a fabulous facility it is now. Well, you've already answered one of my most important questions, which is, are you a biker? Which, obviously, you are. Do you have a bike on the road at the minute? Uh, yes, I, I've become a bit middle-aged, and I'm now a um, small-scale horde of uh, motor guzzi. Ah. Um, so I've got a couple of guzzies, uh, which are I love, actually. Really, really enjoy. I rode my 1972 v7 sport down to mandelo to the factory last september with some mates for the delayed centenary yes which was a hell of a road trip um really fun riding a 50 year old bike um <laughs> quite a long way uh, so that, that was mega you didn't break down on the way i take it we break down every day um, <laughs> okay. in the group we have breakdowns in the group every day but uh we fixed them all ourselves and carried enough spares and tools and things so of course 1970s Italian bike, what do you expect? That was. Done what I did about, about 3,500 K trip on a V4S Multistrada um, in May from MotoGP in France to Formula One in Imola, only to find it cancelled when I got there. Yes, of course. Back yeah. via the south of France, so mm. that, was, that was a nice road trip. Um, got a couple of other bikes tucked away, but save that for another time. Brilliant. And what was the experience of being at Le Mans this year then? Because obviously it was uh, famously. Uh, well, more than a sellout by the sounds of it. So what was your overall takeaway from attending that one this year? Well, I was really keen to um, to, to see firsthand how the promoter there, Claude uh, Michy, has built up the um, the event over a number of years. I've, I've been meaning to go for a while. I know them all well from car racing, and uh, but actually seeing it uh, as in, in MotoGP configuration and with, with that audience was fascinating. Um, understanding what they've done. There's always things to learn off other promoters. There's pricing policy, what's included in the ticket, what is and what's put on, what is not. You know, I think we do some things better than him. He does some things better than us, but he's got double the audience and we need to work on how we grow to that sort of level of support also. Yeah. Obviously, we're here to talk about MotoGP, which is, what, just a little over two weeks away now? Yeah. Um, Thanks for reminding me. Yes, I'm sure that you're deep in the in the mire in terms of, well, I mean, what is involved? I mean, I know you can't sort of answer that very quickly but obviously you've got a huge team here. yeah yeah look we're very lucky here so we've got uh, we've got a lot of skilled people and we've got a lot of experience and it's between me my ops director my circuit manager we've got 83 years of working at Silverstone between the three of us so we have an understanding about how to operate this site interestingly it evolves every year no two years are ever the same we've got a really experienced events team and uh, but there's a lot that goes into trying to make sure that not only does it operationally work i.e. you can get in and out quickly we all know that traffic can be a challenge getting in and out of motorsport venues wherever they are in the world yeah. you know, eight days ago we absolutely nailed it on British Grand Prix Sunday 160,000 people on site but you know in the process we spent an awful lot of money to achieve that and um, that sort of seven figure commitment to traffic management is not something that's MotoGP as an event as the wherewithal to sustain so we have to do things differently and uh, yeah. and that's where keeping people on site longer encouraging them to come for the weekend putting better entertainment in the form of Chase and Status on Friday night Kaiser Chiefs on Saturday night Razor Light on Sunday night uh, for reasons to stay on and make it that weekend festival feel yeah. event are, uh, are really important um, that also is a very important part of our life these days is is thinking about our sustainability footprint and if you stop them from coming in and out every day and make them come in on Monday and leave at the end of the weekend then that's just two journeys not six journeys yeah. so that's 
there's a lot of logic in that as and well. Not having people all trying to leave at the same time as well. Well, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah. We've for many years used music as a traffic control measure at Silverstone, yeah. and it is pretty effective in that respect. Mm. I remember the bad old days of my first time here, I think, was for Formula One in 1989, uh, just before they changed the track, I think. Well, 91 that happened, didn't it? The first right. big change of the track. But yes, yeah, so I remember the bad old days of going out through uh, sort of rubble tracks through forests. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, it's been, um, it's been a, it's a challenging history. I think it's getting better. Um, and certainly the investment in the site has um, been significant, particularly in the last decade. You know, we've really sort of um, put our money where our mouth is and we're trying to evolve it into a, uh, a leisure and business destination that can operate 52 weeks a year, not just rely on one or two Sundays in the summer. Yeah. That seasonal business is not sustainable for the long run. Yeah, and I was here for the BSB round earlier this year, and that was a, obviously it's on a smaller track in the National, would you call Correct. that? Yeah. yeah, big crowd on that weekend. I mean, good weather always helps as well. But well, Yeah, I mean, good weather is the motorcycle promoter's best friend. Yeah. Um, it's a challenge to operate anything in the UK's unpredictable climate, but we do that, we accept the challenge. But fundamentally, motorcyclists, however what compelling the advanced ticket offer is many people will choose to open the curtains in the morning and take a view on the weather i guess with the advent of a decent weather app on your phone you can probably take a slightly more informed view five days in advance and we do see that sort of uptick if the weather's good we see it earlier in the week compared with just a few short years ago but yeah. promoting outdoor events in the united kingdom always comes with a degree of jeopardy but that's right can't change the weather correct Obviously, there's lots of exciting and interesting things going on within MotoGP at the moment, which I want to come on to. But just first of all, last year um, when I was here, I remember commenting on the show, the Sunday crowd last year felt to be a bit down. Was that reflected in the numbers? Yeah, did was. you sort of manage to have a little bit of a post-mortem on what might have affected that in terms of learning and understanding this year's event? We did, Rich. It was down. Your eyes were not deceiving you. The previous year had been up. Yes. So the previous year was post Valentino's retirement announcement people recognizing this was the last chance to see him on the home turf that gave us an uptick yeah. and some of those people didn't come back in uh, 2022 so we were down last year I think that quite a lot of it is as simple as just saying it's down to the, the Rossi effect I went to Mugello last year and their gate was down as significantly, well, yeah. significantly yeah. down. Mm. It didn't pick up greatly this year. There was something about some odd ticket pricing in there in the mix, which I can't remember the details of. But if you can't get Italians, when Ducati are dominating the championship with an Italian rider, yeah. if, if you can't get them to go to Mugello, then it's pretty telling. Um, so I didn't, you know, I sort of reflected that perhaps it wasn't a total disaster in 2022. Yeah. Perhaps you know the <laughs> championships do go through cycles, but there's no question we need. Well, any promoter will tell you that having a home hero to promote is a great advantage. We've really felt that effect in Formula One with Lewis for many years building the crowd and now Lando and George really helping sustain that. Yeah. And indeed, you know, you look at the crowds around Barry Sheen at Silverstone back in the day and peaks in, in World Superbike with Carl Fogarty and, and things like that. You know, Brands was never busier than when Foggy was uh, winning in WSB there. So, you know, in that respect, I really, really hope that Jake Dixon is successful in getting his premier class ride next season. It's not easy to put together and it's not the work of the moment, but win last time out. He can't do better than that to stake his claim. And I think if he gets there, he could be really, really good news. Not just because he's a Brit on a bike uh, in MotoGP, but actually 
he's got a bit of stardust sprinkled on him. He's got a bit of yes, he's very marketable, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. Uh, in particular, Jake. I, I must admit, uh, three weeks ago, I think it was, Asen, I had a picture of you running around the, the living room, punching the air when you won the Moto2 race. It makes a difference. It, it absolutely, the timing is spot on. Yeah. Now, I don't want to talk about Formula 1 too much, but it's hard not to talk about Formula 1 in the context of Silverstone because you've just had a weekend crowd of 480,000 around figures, yeah, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a, a lot of people. Now, for me, cars and bikes are quite different, and I think the crowds are quite different in terms of core fans. But in the post-Bernie era, we've seen Formula 1 really embrace digital media. Yeah gone down to things like Drive to Survive and so on and so forth. So have you had an opportunity to discuss with Dan Rosamondo, who, for the listeners who don't know, although most will, he's the new chief commercial officer at Dorna that's come in, American from the NBA. So have you had a chance yet to talk to him and Dorna about strategies to unlock the latent potential in this championship, of which I believe there is an enormous amount? Uh, and, and I agree with you, Rich. Uh, yes, I have. I've had the chance to welcome to the family when he joined and uh, meet him relatively briefly in the morning's busy on event on, on event weekends and then we caught up again afterwards um, I've every confidence that his understanding about how you build a sports brand I mean that is what the Americans do well and you know if any of your listeners don't know Formula One after Bernie Eccleston's the business that Bernie Eccleston was latterly working for CVC sold it it went to an American owner Liberty Media yeah. and and they know about building they are applying the playbook of building an American sport and they are unashamedly challenging themselves to build the world's biggest sports and entertainment product. Ironically, one of the things that's working so well for Formula One is has been Drive to Survive. You referenced it just now in your question, but it is occasionally accused of embellishing uh, the story with a bit of uh, judicious editing yes. to try and sort of tell a story. The one championship you don't need to make more exciting in the edit is MotoGP. Agreed. You yeah. know, I mean, this sport naturally way more compelling than the vast majority of four-wheel races. So it's a source of frustration that when MotoGP had the opportunity to follow Formula One with a Drive to Survive style fly-on-the-wall documentary, they got it wrong. And they will admit they've got it wrong. They have admitted to me and they've apologised because it, you know, I think that's a really costly miss. Yeah. Drive to Survive has been amazing at helping overcome some really key um, hurdles that you have with motorsports and it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's MotoGP or Formula One the same fundamental problem is that you can't see the hero you know they wear a mask for protection but you can't see them it's unmasking them and going behind the scenes you get a sense of how dramatic they are being by hanging off the bike by being the athletes and the brave individuals you look at the scary angles and the rubbing and the touching and stuff and you know that core bravery is so obvious for even the most untrained eye so i think dan knows exactly what he needs to do i know that he has the full support of carmelo the chief executive of dorna and the only thing i ask is that he's given time to do his job uh, Rome was not built in a day and much of, we're now I think in season six of Liberty's ownership of Formula One and certainly the first three years were building years. I mean, it's got to be a three-year build. Yeah. Um, so let's not, I hope for Jack tomorrow, we've got, to, we've got to just be patient and I'm sure he will get his work done. Indeed. 
Now, I mean, I've been coming to, well, I've been going to MotoGP races for longer than I care to admit, but I've been coming to this MotoGP race since it first started. In fact, well, ironically, it was the first year that Rossi was injured, if we remember back. He broke his leg at Mugello that first year. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Um, so the first year here was, was a little bit muted, I think, for that same reason, um, which is interesting. But anyway, that being said, I mean, this is a fantastically run event. There's loads of stuff to see and do and listen to, besides bike racing, obviously, which is why most people are here. But you've already just mentioned about how great it would be to be having, say, Jake Dixon on a MotoGP bike. But is there something else that you know, Dawn or teams, let's say, could do that would help you to market this event? Well, I do think the riders need to be accessible. Um, I think that, yeah. generally, the, the riders in this paddock haven't really understood how they just need to be accessible to the fans and do the engagements and come on the main stage and and formula one in that respect they're better they train their pr people train their drivers better from a young age you know you name me a a racing driver in formula one who hasn't got word perfect english now i'm not suggesting that you know, we, we shouldn't make an effort to learn other people's language, but the reality is English is the international language and they need to get it nailed on from an early age. They need to get be eloquent and not shy and not afraid of going up in front of the fans. I think also that we, the promoter, have to really recognise that we've got to offer the best possible product. And I do recognise that, and that is behind why we've moved from the older national paddock to the new wing Formula One paddock or back to it. We did come here for yes. a couple of years with, with yeah. MotoGP to begin with. Actually, it, for, for MotoGP, it is operationally more challenging to operate from here because many teams have a MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 team. And so you actually need a huge amount of um, paddock space. We, we don't have this sort of the overflow to, at the back, back here. But anyway, we're going to make it work again this year because yeah. I think it's important because this is now an established iconic statement for international motorsport. It is recognised as the home of the Formula One race and that's important. I mean, look, you know, you and I don't want to compare MotoGP to Formula One or if we do, we want to point out how favourably it can and should be compared. But the reality is that Silverstone is known as an F1 track. This building is known as an F1 pit and paddock building. Mm. And if we want to be serious about supporting the World Championship and showing it in the best possible light, then doing it from this paddock is important, even though it costs uh, my business more money to put it on down here. It's the right thing to do, as is. We've got 80,000 seats up at the moment around Silverstone. You know, that's about the capacity of Wembley Stadium. Yeah. And yet, historically, we haven't allowed people on a general admission ticket at MotoGP to sit in them. Consequently, we've had very empty grandstands, which looks poor on television. And so we're opening those up to everybody with a general admission ticket. We are allowing them to come and sit in a grandstand. And that's fine. It's great. It's good. I'm delighted. It costs a bit more to put it on, but let's improve the visibility yeah. and hopefully enhance the experience so people will come back again and tell their friends, bring their friends with them. And, uh, That's the key, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, broadcast it for us. I mean, I love to bring new people to a particularly a MotoGP race for the first time because it's just great to watch people's mouths drop open when they see a bike go past them at 210 miles an hour at the back of the hangar straight. I mean, you can't you don't get that from TV, do you? No, so you it's really so don't. important to get I'm, people here. I have never brought anybody to MotoGP who's gone away and said, oh, I wish I hadn't gone, or that was a waste of my afternoon. Everybody's yeah. gone, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. And we've just got to spread the word. So, yeah, we were down a bit last year, but I'm um, tracking quite favourably this year. I do think that, t that grandstand seating ticket price is making a difference. I do think 
chance to see Razor Light and the Kaiser Chiefs uh, within the ticket price is also making a difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, as I was explaining to you before we started recording, the, the people that run the show in the background, the Motopod hosts, myself and Jim in America, and certainly all the listeners, I mean, we're, we're basically just bike racing fans. And one of the big frustrations that we talk about often and that we hear feedback from the listeners of the show is this kind of glass or ivory tower kind of complex that exists in MotoGP that doesn't exist to the same extent in World Superbike and definitely doesn't exist in, say, Moto America or British Superbikes. I mean, my one thing that if I could sort of bang my fist on the table and say to Dawn, please do this, it would be better access to the riders and just kind of allow those personalities to come out a little bit and to engage with the fans because I think that is so important. And I think that's another area where Formula One, sorry to keep talking about Formula One, but it's so successful at the moment, you have to take what's good about it and discard what's not good. I think the riders need saving from themselves. Yeah. You know, they want to have a long and successful career in this championship. They need to actually smell the coffee a bit. And that's where I think somebody like Jake will make a difference, actually. I think, in fact, I'm going to make a prediction here. I'm going to say that he'll get into MotoGP, and I reckon that if we have this conversation at the end of the 2024 season, we'll reflect, not just because we speak English as the first language, but we'll reflect on somebody who's come in and actually really moved the needle on engagement. Uh, mm. and, and, and I think that he is absolutely bright enough and switched on enough and savvy enough to, to recognise this is a real opportunity that he's got to win a lot of popular support by just engaging with people. That's yeah. the sort of guy he is. And I think the sport can kind of market him, and certainly Silverstone, you know, in terms of the homegrown hero, can market him very much as that Barry Sheen guy for the yep. modern age because he does have that sort of carefree, easy, cheeky, chappy charm, doesn't he? And it's so marketable, that. Yep. If people make use of it, and that's obviously the great hope. Before I start going on about Formula One, I don't know if this was completely just pie in the sky thing, but a little while back there was some talk about whether or not there was value in looking at a co-run car race and bike race. Has that ever been discussed? Because, I mean, Silverstone clearly is one venue that could handle something like that. It has been discussed, actually. Oh, interesting. Even this year. Wow. But the commercial obligations and the contracts that sit behind both championships just seem to make it not deliverable. I mean, from your point of view as MD of the circuit, I mean, is it something you would like to see happen? Is there value in it? I'd love to expose my Formula 1 to bike race, uh, audience to bike racing, because I think there would be huge value. I think it'd be a great opportunity. But the reality is that this is a business where there's quite a lot of money at stake with the respective rights holders. And... When push comes to shove, neither of them is prepared to take a haircut to make it happen. Even if they were just to, I don't know, in a Formula One weekend, let the Ducatis run out of track and do some demo laps. I mean, or the, the Yamahas, whoever, just let the Formula One people see a MotoGP bike being ridden in anger by you know, well, the current rider. Do you know what? I actually don't think that a single bike or a pair of bikes on track, even MotoGP bikes, makes a particularly compelling sight at this circuit can't speak for other circuits, mm. but this is a big, wide, fast circuit. And actually, it is the density of the field and the closeness of the racing that really gives the excitement. So I don't think it would achieve the aim if we just put one or two bikes out at a time. Right, okay. Because um, I've given that a bit of thought about whether that was a solution, um, mm. but I've rather concluded it isn't. But 
I mean, give me the Red Bull rookies or something like that, or Moto3 to go on an early morning slot on British Grand Prix weekend. I think that would be absolutely mega. Yeah. So I think there's any point in putting Formula One car out in front of a MotoGP audience? No. 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 <laughs> Don't think that would work. No. Well, that segues somewhat neatly into sprint races. Obviously, they're a big draw. Now, accepting that a lot of people will buy a weekend pass only for this event, that's what I've always done, but for the more casual audience, let's say, have you seen any trend in the sales towards just, say, a Friday or a Saturday ticket? Is there any kind of signs of a, a spike there? Uh, not really, but we are quite a heavy weekend audience here, yeah. and we've piled in weekend value with the music. So... I think that's something that we will have to look at when we've seen whether or not we pick up the late in the day sales and the local sales. I think that Friday and Saturday ticket are very, very well priced for casual local viewers. Um, we are sitting uh, not quite within earshot of my PR colleagues, uh, although they've generously organised uh, today's for us, Rich. Um, yeah. But I would say that, uh, you know, the ballies are very much in their court to try and pull out of the bag a, a local... Uh, Northamptonshire, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, Warwickshire, Leicestershire, Rutland. Last know. minute, come if you're free, kind of Correct. deal. You know, yeah. we're, Silverstone is there's one third. There's over twenty, about twenty-two million people that live within a two-hour drive yeah. of Silverstone. And actually, current season, if the sun's belting down, you know, if you're free on Friday for thirty-five quid to come and watch MotoGP bikes and listen to Chase and Status in the evening, I mean, you know, good deal. If, well, it. I mean, it genuinely is yeah. around the drinks nowadays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm horrified yeah. to admit. Yeah. So, yeah. Just on that point, and I, when I put the show out in a couple of days' time, our, Alison, your uh, PR colleague, has um, kindly sent through a sheet with all of the pricing strategies for the tickets and everything that's going on, so I'll make sure I read through that Thank you. so that any people that are local in this country might just make that decision to go and have a look. I mean, your audience are. We are preaching to the converted, really, aren't we? Yes. Um, True. It, we must ask, we do some post-event survey, quite interesting to um, find out how many of our customers say they listen to your podcast. And um, we must work with you because, as I said, when we started our lunch earlier, actually, I think we all need to try and help the ecosystem if we can get, you know, rising tide floats all boats and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think, direction is important. I think actually there, there perhaps is a an incorrect perception in my view that it's an expensive weekend but I actually don't think MotoGP is. Now whether that's again a, a kind of a, a false connection to the F1 weekend which is a lot more expensive but it's a different product it will be interesting to gauge you know the listeners take on that. It is more expensive it's, it's quite a bit more expensive than BSB and that is the comparison that people make really rather than saying well it's an awful lot cheaper than Formula One so yeah. actually you know in my opinion says man on the clap and on the bus you know the racing is better or whatever but yeah i think it's the i think it's the bsb comparison that, that people make but we don't put the enhanced value into bsb and the reality is it's not a world championship and world championships come with certain costs you know it's it's a fact yeah. uh, i mean ironically it's, it's it's so less obvious to so many people because people don't understand the difference between prototype bikes and super bikes that are so close to things that you can buy in the local dealership your audience do because they are experts they are educated in this sport but to most people out there who you know they, they, we know that the number of people that ride motorcycles in this country are dwindling two-wheel sales may, might be going up but i don't consider scooters or maxi scooters or whatever who for people who don't want to get on 
tubes post-COVID to be indicative of, of greater enthusiasm for motorcycles. Yeah. Um, we're all getting older, um, motors, no, none more so than the motorcycling community. So, you know, everybody wants a GS, don't know why, but they do. And nobody wants a... GSX. <laughs> a GSX, indeed. Yeah. Or, you know, well, they're stopping making them. So, yeah. there, there you are, e- exactly. The days of, you know, the R1s and the Fireblades and, and even more recently, the, you know, S1000s and stuff like that. You know, they're just... The world is changing. Um, like I'm pleased that people are riding enduro bikes. I'm pleased that they're, they're carrying on longer. I'm pleased that they're on two wheels. Although I wish people would fill the bloody potholes in and uh, stop texting when they're on their, their telephones because yes. it's making me ride less in the UK and making me do most of my riding on the continent where I feel fundamentally feel safer. Yeah. But, uh, oh, no, I agree. I totally agree. It's, um, you know, it's a challenging landscape. Just in terms of the circuit itself, without getting too down a separate avenue, but you know, we know Silverstone is an independent business. Has well, I've written on my notes here, little to zero. I'm guessing zero is really the word to government support yeah. in terms of the running and the keeping the, the place going. So, despite the fact that so much global motorsport resides in the UK, always been a bit unfathomable to me. But clearly, the circuit's ever adapting. Um, and has had to look at new and novel ways to generate income. So, I mean, we're sat in this lovely new Hilton Hotel, for example. We've got the museum, which is very much worth a dedicated trip to anybody that hasn't done that yet, which I have, and it's brilliant. Uh, we've now got the Escapade Complex, is that correct? correct? Yes, yes. Um, over the way. So, obviously, this is most of this has happened under your tenureship as managing director. So, how does all this stuff kind of fit into the sort of the business model of keeping, the, you know, the UK's premier circuit afloat? We, if you look back, you don't need to be the greatest student of motor racing history to recall that uh, Silverstone's financial fortunes have been a bit challenging over the years. And, you know, is, is Silverstone going to keep the Formula One Grand Prix? Is it, is it going to Donington? Is it going abroad? Or, you know, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, many of our financial woes of old are, were principally rooted in the fact that we had uh, way too many eggs in one basket with one championship. Uh, you know, we sort of had a second string to our bow, you know, latterly with MotoGP, but really we had, you know, we were a one Sunday in July business. Yet the brand, we always underestimated the power of the brand. Silverstone has been a, it's had a load more brand strength than we've, we've given ourselves credit for years. Yes, and, yes. and actually what we've sought to do in the last eight or nine years with my uh, management team is try and extract the value that's tied up in that brand and string it out over 52 weeks a year. The climate in this part of northwestern Europe means that for one third of the year, November, December, January, February, there's no racing, not many test days or track days. So our core, you know, we're watching customers on their bikes going on a track day today, but, you know, they're not going to do that in mid-December or mid-January. So we don't earn revenue off the track. So, But we are looking at the the wing, as you said, sitting in the hotel, uh, looking across at the wing. The wing is was very expensive to build and why on earth were we only using it for a few weekends a year so actually we have uh, we're building a business to market it as the biggest conference and exhibition space between london and birmingham sitting under the motorsport brand of silverstone which has huge global resonance it passes the my mum test my, yep. you know my mum knows what goes on at silverstone that's always the important uh, bellwether and and actually, we've got other bits of real estate where we weren't earning money. So Escapade, to which you refer, is a, a another uh, short-stay uh, development. It's it's uh, up the more luxury end. This is a three-and-a-half-star hotel that we're in that's designed to meet the needs of our conference and 
exhibition business escapade is orientated is recognizes the fact that if you go and buy a V4S Panigale, then you know you're spending 20 odd grand, and actually, you know, that's quite an expensive discretionary yeah. uh, purchase, let alone if you're buying a McLaren or a Ferrari and coming on one of our track days. So, actually. You know, there's, there's probably a bit more brass around than we've given ourselves credit. And do, should we be selling them £4.50 bacon rolls in the paddock diner? Or would they actually like a better quality breakfast because then their wife might come and if they can stay somewhere nicer and stay a bit longer. And it's all about increasing the dwell time, yeah. exposing people to the, to the different opportunities to get involved at Silverstone. We hope very soon to build a cart circuit um, here, right in the heart of the circuit. Um, I aspire to redevelop some of the old farm buildings to make it more of a home for, for petrol heads to sort of come to seven days a week and just somewhere to come and park up and talk to like-minded souls and kindred spirits. But fundamentally, we need to make this a venue that operates seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and we just engage with our customers, give them a better more fulfilling experience in every respect so yeah that's what we've been up to for the best part of a decade so leading on from that and just let's say to play devil's advocate a little bit because i think you know again there's a perception out there and maybe some of it's correct i don't know but how would you therefore respond to some concerns let's say from the traditional person that's been coming since the 80s or 90s as we have both of us with bike racing in mind obviously MotoGP primarily you know the sort of the rarefied extravagance of f1 creeping into bike racing events and the risk that costs and access become so difficult that it kind of dissuades people from attending. Do you, I mean, I, I, as I said a minute ago, I'll preface that by saying I think the weekend ticket this year is the best value it's ever, ever been when you look at what you're getting for that. But do you get a bit frustrated that, you know, perhaps some fans out there think it's not the place to come anymore because it's too expensive or they can't get to a certain corner that they wanted to view from? Well, the answer is they can get to a certain corner. So. Look, you can the, still spectate at Maggots, I presume. I haven't been around and seen the development um, now that it's finished, but... Absolutely you can. Okay, good. The bank has gone, but you're now at eye height. It's arguably a more compelling view down there, but we've enhanced the spectator viewing a little bit further down at Chapel. Okay. Put in a huge general admission berm. I was accused of taking away people's best favourite viewing here where we built this hotel. Actually, we've now got 2,000 more seats in along Hamilton Street than we had before the hotel was built. Yeah. So we've enhanced things. We've improved it down at Laffield and Brooklands with a huge, great uh, spectator burn there. So, you know, I did a, um, I did another podcast with um, one of your colleagues who was here earlier this morning. And actually, the room that we did it in, we had a, an aerial photo of, of, of Formula One and and the Formula One attendance is three times the size of, um, of MotoGP. We could almost count the individual people whilst we were sitting there just doing the interview without inter- in between... Cops and Beckett's were on that bit that you mm-hmm. talk about where Escapade now is. Honestly, it's a fuss about nothing. The people that are throwing this around, they're not there. And even if they were there, then turning up once a year or on a general admission ticket was not going to save Silverstone. Uh, never mind not having a view of the circuit. They wouldn't have a view of anything yeah. because it would have been bankrupt yeah. if we'd carried on. We had no choice but to change the way we were running this business because the old way was not working and the circuit was going bust. And I made no apology for saving Silverstone. In fact, I'm very proud of the way that my colleagues have knuckled down and tackled the task and turned the financial fortunes of this place around. I think its best years are ahead of it. I love the old days. I can show you some photos of my phone of me here in the hot summer of 76. As a five-year-old, I've been coming since then. Uh, you know, there's barely been a year where I haven't been 
here even prior to the 18 years. I've been lucky, honoured enough to be coming here for, a, for work. But it wasn't working. It was going in the wrong direction. We had to do something to change it. It is better now. And if you don't think it's better, then you're either not taking um, a balanced and measured view of what's here or your rose-tinted spectacles are misted up because actually there are more facilities, better options and greater entertainment. Yeah, no, here, here. As somebody that's been coming to Silverstone for such a long time, and I, you know, that's F1, MotoGP and BSB for me, I think it is testament to your leadership and the commitment of the Ops team here that we are where we are at, particularly considering you know, the race that wasn't in was that 2018 when we had the disaster of the, the rainy day. I was sat in the stands all day that day. Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, top, <laughs> top tip to <laughs> anybody out there who wants to promote a motor race, if you're going to keep people sitting in, in the pouring rain for the best part of six hours, do r- at least run the race at the end of it. Don't cancel it. That yeah. would be my advice yeah. to you. And obviously particularly COVID as well, which was, must have been tremendously... But, oh, I don't want to talk about COVID because I mean, it's behind us now. And, um, well, do you know, actually, Rich, I reflect on COVID as... At the time, it felt like the worst thing that had ever happened. Indeed, it was. We very nearly ran out of money again. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we had the practice of saving the business just uh, six years before. So actually, we had our eye in in that respect. But I now actually reflect on COVID as probably the best thing that ever happened to Silverstone, bizarrely. Okay. Um, it changed the buying behaviour, not so much of MotoGP, because we were never, we're not close enough to a sellout event. But for Formula One, it created a sellout event because we rolled so many people's tickets forward, as indeed we did with MotoGP yes. from 2020 to 2021 that when we went back on sale for 2021 there was a short window with a small amount of tickets and they sold out it meant that we were able to warn people ahead of 2022 that the event was a sellout and that then kick-started a much swifter buying cycle and that has created momentum indeed with formula one that produced a whole host of problems um, when we went on sale for the 2023 race because uh, so many people wanted tickets so urgently that we struggled to deal with the demand. Yeah. However, I believe we've learned the lessons and we'll get that right for next year. But actually, that buying behaviour, any promoter of any event, be it a music concert, be it a, a, a football or a top demand, Wimbledon or whatever, once you get that set out, a momentum to your selling cycle, it brings a, a whole different dynamic to the business, which is really very welcome. So actually, it turns out COVID wasn't the disaster that I thought it was. No, that's really interesting. And I mean, to go back to what we were talking about a moment ago, I mean, yes, we are preaching to the converted in terms of this podcast to a large degree, it's true, but people just need to come here and if they haven't been for a few years and just see what a great facility this is. And normally great racing as well in terms of the bikes. No question. I mean, the, the fast flowing nature, the high speed nature, you referenced 210, I think 217 or 220. Yeah, a bit, a bit more yeah, yeah. They're up yeah. to cracky. They're doing 197 in the wet before 2018. I remember that figure. Yeah. So, you know, it's give us a go. Um, yeah. I'll talk directly to your listenership and say, if you haven't been to Silverstone for a while, give us a go. It doesn't need to be the, committing the full £110 for the uh, three-day ticket, but come and, on a single day, enjoy the music, enjoy the racing, enjoy the view, enjoy the accessibility, enjoy the, uh, what I hope are clean facilities, enjoy the, uh, the traffic manager. Oh, it's all about <laughs> the loose. Simple is, things. It really is. And... Bring your family, introduce them. Your under 11 is free, your under 16 is half price. There are not many sports events that you can do that. Yeah. And a Friday ticket is the cost of buying a round of drinks for three mates and yourself. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. So give us a go. Yeah, well, sure. look, thank you ever so much for the invite today and to the team for organising this. It's been fantastic to come and talk to you and to talk to some of the other people that have been in attendance today. And um, 
I hope the event is a great success. I'm sure the ticket sales are looking pretty good already. And no doubt Jake Dixon will be helping that along. For our little part, we'll do everything we can to publicise things uh, and keep talking about MotoGP and Silverstone in particular as well. I hope the job's still fun. You look as if you're enjoying it, despite you know everything we've just been talking about in terms of the challenges. And the future's clearly very bright. Absolutely. I have no complaints. I'm honoured to have the chance to um, steer this amazing sports venue at this time in its history and I'm very proud to leave a very passionate and hard-working team and uh, so yeah thank you for the opportunity it's been a, yeah, been a real you. pleasure and we'll hopefully get a chance to catch up again sometime in the not too distant future and we'll see how it all went absolutely Rich Brilliant. love to do that thanks, thanks Rich. Rich. Cheers. nice talk to you